Welcome to another episode of the Collective Evolution Show. I'm Joe Martino. The CE Show is a podcast that will feature anything from discussions to monologues or even sometimes reports on a variety of topics, all framed within the context of transformation that is occurring both um, within us as individuals, but also collectively as a society. Our current paradigm seems to be falling apart and things are becoming quite chaotic in our world. But this is actually a powerful catalyst for us to notice that the old ways of viewing the world are simply no longer working. And in a sense, much of traditional media or what we might call mainstream media, even academia, seem to be failing at exploring these transitions that are underway. Um, And many of us are kind of deeply noticing this and are searching for a different kind of conversation. So we've arrived at a time where we must start having these conversations about emerging ideas that come from an entirely different idea or narrative about what it means to be human, why we're here, and what kind of world we truly want to create and live within. Um, On this podcast, we'll talk about anything from current events to personal transformation, consciousness, future technology, uh, new economic models, cutting-edge health, and so on. We'll explore real things that are happening, that are inspiring, but not necessarily explored in pop culture or media. All of these topics can also be explored uh, more deeply on our website at collective-evolution.com, where we have articles, essays, and videos. You can also join our membership platform called CTV, where we have a ton of exclusive video content, including original shows, discussions, courses, and guides to help you make sense of the world and engage in the process of creating a new narrative for humanity as we move forward. You can visit CTV.one to check out our membership area. A new film just recently came out called Thrive 2, This Is What It Takes. And I gotta say, I'm personally pretty excited about this film. There's a lot in here that I believe is incredibly important for people to look at, to understand, to digest, to be inspired by. I mean, that's one of the big key words that I took out of watching this movie is the amount of inspiration uh, that, that I felt in just seeing some of what was discussed in terms of solutions to a lot of the challenges that we face, um, a lot of the discussion around how to engage and take action on changing our world right now. And of course, all of that packaged within this underlying, you know, unified field, this underlying conscious message, this underlying understanding of the true nature of our reality and how that plays within this entire discussion. Um, And I was so inspired by the film, I wanted to talk to uh, Foster Gamble and Kimberly Carter Gamble, the creators of the film, so we can not only understand kind of the inspiration behind why they created it uh, the way they did, but also go deeper on some of these topics. So without further ado, Let's dive into this discussion. First off, congratulations on releasing this. I know it must have been quite a journey to finish this movie to, I mean, we'll, we'll get into some of it, but even the, the trials and the tribulations along the way uh, were, were quite many. So congratulations on that at first and thank you for this incredible contribution. Um, wow. Let's, for the people that may not have seen it yet or who want to kind of hear right from you guys, what was the inspiration behind making the specific fit like this specific film to be the way it was can really go ahead well i would say the inspiration we really did not intend to make another film after thrive one that was not i i joked with foster it was the only taboo subject probably in our household (laughs) was thrive two for a while and uh it 
It was the result of hearing from so many people from around the world after Thrive One came out from really a hundred different countries. We heard from over a thousand different innovators in with energy and health and consciousness and philosophical, really new insights and innovations and breakthroughs. And we kind of divvy them out and check them out. And it was so like, obviously they weren't all true and real and valid or what they claimed, but enough would be that we just thought, wow, this is really worth exploring. Mostly we realized we were the only ones who knew of all of them. Mm -hmm. So it was like that, you know, nobody else is in this particular position, especially because we heard from people who didn't have patents. And so they're really off the radar and they had trusted us because Thrive One was so obviously not like aimed to be politically correct, right? So there was kind of a trust in that, I guess. And anyway, so that's when we, we mentioned in the movie, we just put together a team of people and started traveling. And we actually did that even we started checking them all out before we even knew we were going to make Thrive 2. It was only that we were so inspired and excited about the breakthroughs that we found. And all of our friends were coming over and visiting kind of down in the dumps about the state of the world. Yeah. It was like, you guys, you're missing. There's all this fabulous stuff out there. And that, that was really when we said, you know, it, it would be a real waste if we're the only ones who feel this good about humanity in these times. And it would. So, all right. Are you up for, you know, it's more that that question was, are you up for what it takes to actually pull this off, make a movie, get it out there and go through all the slander and all the rest that's going to come. And it was like, yeah, we both in the same timing sort of said, yeah, let's do this. So that was the inspiration for it was that we just saw so much that was important and positive and real that we thought it would if we could help, we would. Nice. Yeah. And that's, you know, at the end of the day, you, you said something there that I kind of want to ask. I'm not sure how to formulate this as a question. So maybe I'll kind of share this and hear what you guys have to say. Um, and it's kind of this idea of the current state of the world, right? The, there's, uh, I, I've, I've been going through this a lot myself, this idea of there isn't an alternative thinking community, if you will, out there. I mean, it's hard to put words on this stuff, but there's a lot of people who are looking and they're questioning and they're asking stuff. And sometimes it does feel like, I've been going through this in my reflection myself, like it, it, it feels like such a dark perspective of the future. And it feels like we're, we're headed, you know, inevitably towards this dystopian reality. And, and you talk about some of the stuff in the film, but I don't get the feeling when I watched the film that it, we were headed to this dark place. It, it, it's very clear we do have these options. And I, I often wonder when I'm, when I'm looking at a lot of the content and the people in the state of being in this community, I, I feel like they feel the only option is darkness. Um, so that's kind of the statement I wanted to make. What do you, I, you know, what do you, what do you guys feel about that? Well, <laughs> uh, I, I actually, you know, I've had embarrassment for years where I had to be careful how much I said about the global domination agenda and so forth in public, especially at nice occasions like birthday parties and weddings and so <laughs> forth. I, I learned to be quiet most of the time until until something uh, would be really fruitful and appropriate. 
but now it's actually flipped upside down where I, I'm actually remarkably optimistic yeah. uh, and I think realistic about the future right now. And there's hardly anyone who is. It's almost politically incorrect to be this optimistic. But it's not just, uh, you know, a hope and a prayer. It's that that what I, for the research that I do for hours a day, seven days a week for 30 years, what it's led to is, yes, we are in a real sticky predicament. Mm -hmm. It's very dangerous what's going on right now. And at the same time, those who are perpetrating what we call the global domination agenda that we laid out in Thrive One, they're so few compared to the rest of us. It's literally way more than a million to one that we that we uh, outnumber them. But also they're they're getting so exposed now because of independent media and truth seekers, you know, like you guys, um, that they're having to make a dive to try to get over the goal line now to their one world government, you know, their new world order, because it's all based on this fiction that anybody should be ruling over anybody else. And then the fake money printing that that allows, and that's being really exposed now. So they're having to be really egregious in their attempts to seize that final control before the, the fraud is revealed. So they're being so obvious now with so much stuff about the COVID and the lockdown and the cashless society and the, the censorship of the media. Um, it's getting so obvious and so many people's lives are being detrimentally affected that more and more people are make, wake, waking up by the hundreds of millions to wait a minute. There must be something going on here and the more openness to actually seeing what that is. And what Kimberly was referring to before is behind the scenes, we've been seeing so many innovative breakthroughs in technology and consciousness and freedom philosophy and everything that we see what nature is really emerging on this planet. And it's so much more powerful than this corrupt agenda that I, I have more confidence actually than I ever have that nature is going to win and we get to be a part of that. Mm. Yeah. I'll add, I also share in the optimism, and at the same time, I feel like uh, we're all called upon to really up-level sort of everything about ourselves and our capacities for interacting. Like, what I see is that the ethical dilemma there's a huge ethical dilemma that we're all facing. And just the no one of the things we wanted to do was bring forth the notion of ethics and integrity. Like we need some principles here in order to coexist. Because if you don't get one team to rule another, then those who want to, you know, augment humans to be immortal, for example, which is clearly a well-funded AI agenda and has been for a long time, they're going to proceed, right? And those who value staying more in a state that we've been naturally given and are okay with dying, there's actually a continuum. You know, it's like, well, I don't mind getting metal in my arm if I fracture my bone, or I don't mind getting stem cells, or... I, like, or I don't mind hooking my brain into a computer. Like, it's just, where are you on this spectrum of 
human augmentation and health and this interface of technology and nature. And those are the conversations that I feel like are actually at the basis of our surviving and thriving because this notion that we're going to just be divided over who gets to win over the other, you don't get, that's not, we won't, I, I don't have any hope that that would get us where we need to go. But I have a lot of hope that when we get to have the right conversations, we'll be able to solve huge, unprecedented challenges and uh, that we have the capacity to do that. And so I'm excited about that. I don't think it's any easy uh, task. I just think it's something that we're up, up for, really. Right. And, you know, it's interesting because there's, there's a couple things I want to say off that um, that I find really interesting about this moment right now. And, and kind of, Foster, you were alluding to it where a lot of people are wanting to question reality. So it's almost like their worldview is starting to fall apart, their existing one. And then it becomes, well, what do we replace it with, per se, right? And, and I remember, Kimberly, at the end of the, closer to the end of the film, I think you were speaking about your grandmother and her her idea of almost like making sense of the world, like this, this skill of being able to hold, say, conflicting positions at the same time in order to understand them, in order to have conversations about them, in order to move through them and not get stuck, per se, in a single ideology. And I feel like when you combine kind of both of those ideas, we, we get to this mode where, you know, Kimberly, you also just said up-leveling our capacities within ourselves, which is like, what I'm finding and what I'm observing is people are having an extremely difficult time making sense of our world right now. And it's, it's not just happening per se in sort of what we might call the mainstream community, but also in the alternative, like who's right? Who has an agenda? What are we saying? What's going on? And what I'm hearing from, from what you guys are saying is this idea of we, we have to develop inner faculties in order to make sense of that. And that's perhaps one of the most important things we can do. Am I, am I hearing you correct when you, when you say that? And can you touch more on that? Yeah, I can say it's one of the reasons that I'm so happy to be talking with you and, and why I so admire the mission of, of your work from the beginning, because it is the interface between our inner and outer worlds and that the outer world reflects our inner capacities in this way and i think that this is this is the challenge right to uh who are we when the earth shakes mm -hmm. and everything we believed and thought and expected isn't what we believed and thought and expected like you have to have an expanded sense of self in order to weather the shakiness of that and as uncomfortable and you know, I mean, it's a big deal. I think I remember the first time the earth shook, you know, beneath me. And luckily, I've had it happen enough now that I'm sort of adept, more adept, like I, uh, just going with, okay, what, you know, what am I being shown? And, and what does it challenge? And how do I hold it both? And if I didn't have a sense of myself as an evolving soul, where it's all valuable, <laughs> then it would be horrible. And I see that that's what's happening for so many people. And that's why the interface of the consciousness and the activist sort of movements, I think this is the time like never before 
to to merge and to bring the skills from one to the other. You know, Joe, since the since our trailer came out a couple of months ago, you know, we're getting a ton of press requests. And Kimberly and I sat down and said, and we wanted to brainstorm, okay, who would we actually choose to start with if we had the choice? And this is our first interview yeah. after the, the film has actually come out. And the reason why is exactly what, what you were both just saying. The distinctions that you guys make at Collective Evolution are so aligned with what our values are um, that it really felt like a perfect place to start with. Because first of all, you're courageous enough and knowledgeable enough to cover everything from consciousness expansion and plant medicine on <laughs> the one end to the horrors of satanic ritual abuse on the other. Yeah. Very few people can even contemplate those, much less stake their reputation on it. And then the way you guys actually present it is, is really an expression of the principles you were talking about in the beautiful article that you wrote just came out a couple of days ago that we've been enjoying there, where it's so important that you're calling it conspiriality. <laughs> where, where what's critical now in merging these worlds of science um, and spirituality and conspiracy and mainstream uh, is making the distinction of just being willing to say whatever you want, but distinguish, is this your, your, your fantasy? Is this, <laughs> you have some evidence behind this? Is this an idea that simply makes sense to you? Just name it. And we love the way you guys do that. And we do our best to do that as well. I appreciate that. I, I, I always get slightly emotional hearing these kinds of things because, and this is, I'll kind of just segue right into where I had an emotional moment in the film that may not be something that everybody experiences, but I'm sure there's lots of people that did is I was watching it and I'm like, we, I think it was uh, specific to, there was like a, a little list of, of a, you know, kind of, I think it was one of the progress lists talking about like um, the various things that have sort of become well known as, you know, initially they were conspiracies, but like now we're seeing it, right? Like for example, geoengineering, this whole idea of, you know, spraying uh, stratospheric aerosols into the air in a, in, a, in a bid to help the climate you know, that used to be called chemtrails. Everybody was nuts for doing that and whatever. And I, I just like, I, I got up and there was 23 minutes left in the film and it, it had all sort of hit me. And I just went and I just started crying. And I'm like, I, I can't believe sometimes, and you guys might relate to this and I apologize if I get a little bit emotional here, but it's like how we've been treated for talking about these things that are now becoming so evidentially true and just this feeling of like, it's not that I'm like upset at people for how they treated, but just the idea that we've been treated so poorly uh, for talking about these things over the years. Like it was, and then to see that they're all coming into fruition, maybe not all of them, but so many of them. And yet it's like, we look at the mainstream that's now talking about them and it's like, oh, it's beautiful what the mainstream's doing, but those alternative people are still crazy. And I'm working through that within myself, but I wanted to share that and get whatever take and feelings you guys have, whether you've experienced it or been through it. But that was a very visceral, emotional feeling I had watching the movie. I, I appreciate that. And I don't think we ever need to apologize for being emotional. I think the whole world's feeling right now. <laughs> and I, I go through that because I think how odd that it takes so much courage 
just to say what good research reveals. Mm -hmm. Like, even if like, whether it's 100% proven, like, I remember just wanting to have conversations about God, who's out there in the cosmos, like yeah. the most natural question in the world, if you go outside and look up is, wow, I wonder what else is going on there. And to have that question relegate you to conspiracy theory was just like, it was so disappointing to me and to be in a position where I have to apologize to my family for what they have to go through to have such an outspoken mother, you know, <laughs> um, because I, I would like to say, I, I hope that it encourages more people. That's what I hope to say, come on, it's worth it. Because on the other side of all of those people who will say and do whatever they do, you find a community of people who value these conversations. And we don't all need to agree with each other. We simply need to value that we're exploring and exchanging ideas. And here's where you drop off and here's where I come in. And yeah, so I, I feel sad sometimes about what it takes uh, to do that because then I understand why some people don't wanna do that. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's interesting that if you look at the word and just the, the source of the term, the Latin, for conspire uh, means to breathe together, which is not bad. You know, we could use more of that. But then the most effective by their own admission propaganda campaign that the CIA ever created was in 1964 when people were starting to challenge the Warren's Commission's report about, about this lone gunman. Yeah. Um, and truth was starting to come out. The CIA figured they better get ahead of that. And so they created the word conspiracy theory in order to be able to have a bin to to throw truth in when it was emerging or throw questioning into. And and here we are all these years later, and it still carries that kind of power. But that's really rapidly disappearing because we now have alternative media. And you see more and more things like, you know, we had one sentence in Thrive One where we said, and the NSA is now collecting every email, every text, every phone call you make. And people were like, oh, you've got to be kidding. Yeah, that is pure tinfoil hat stuff. And then Edward Snowden comes out and says exactly the same thing. We have people calling us and going, oh, my God, that's what you said. What else are you, what else do you guys know? Yeah. So it, is, it, it, it has been painful, as you know, to be in a situation where even your friends and family uh, think you've lost it because you're reporting results of a lot of research and a lot of common sense and oftentimes you know inside information yeah, but now the you know the tide is turning and so there's more and more confirmation that in fact a lot of the world runs on conspiracy and we actually need a new word i think yeah. because if you look up conspiracy it literally means for two or more people to gather together in secret and plan something that is destructive to others so we don't want to conspire in that way. So we, I don't know, it, it, maybe it's it's uh, transparent collaboration or something like that, because we know in, uh, you probably have on your channel, you'll have infiltrators, you know, joining your subscription to see what you guys are saying. Hey, guess what? There's no secrets here. Yeah. You know, we're just aligning with truth and with love and with the life force. And 
So as people uh, get to see that, then they, and they're welcomed into the collaboration, this whole thing about you have to fool people, you have to scare people, and you have to lie to people to get them to do what you want, that is really dying fast. And yeah. as long as we don't destroy ourselves as a culture before then, our grandchildren will look back and, and go, they used to believe what? <laughs> Yeah, it's fascinating because, you know, obviously with this work, sometimes you have to do marketing, right, to get stuff out there. And all the marketers, I mean, that we've worked with have been great, you know, individuals. They, they question things and all these sorts of things, too, and they're connected with their hearts. But there's this this idea in marketing of us versus them, right? Like if you want people to join your platform, you need to create an us versus them narrative. And, and I've always felt so uncomfortable doing that. But it's so obvious the results and it sort of it looks at where our current level of consciousness and state of being sits and how much that is still effective but like you said that is dying off right and so it's it's a question of you know where are we going to put our energy and how are we going to play with things and um, one of the things i kind of wanted to segue into off that is is uh, going back to independent media going back to fact checking and all these sorts of things um i i was uh, safe, safe technologies. Is that how you uh, pronounce the uh, the? the... Uh-huh. Sorry. Say it. As in, saith the Lord. Okay. That's okay. Perfect. Saith the Lord. Yes. So I was, I was, I was looking into this again, and I because I, I we wrote an article, I think it was two years ago, um, initially about his car, and I, you know we, I was so excited about it, right? I, we'd reached out to him, we couldn't get in contact, and when I saw him come up in the film, I was like, oh my god, I'm so glad you guys, you guys checked up on this guy, which was amazing, um, and. I decided today before jumping on, I'm like, I wonder if like this guy's been debunked, right? Of course, there's an article on Snopes. You probably are familiar with it, right? right? Debunked him specifically. I know he, you know, the, the person who fact checked it went to our article, talked about how we always peddle conspiracy theories on this stuff, right? And I'm, here I'm looking at it and I'm going, I don't know. Somebody, you know, just went and vetted this technology and it seems, you know, pretty legit. Um, what was I mean, it's it's covered pretty well in the film, but I, I just want to kind of go over it again. What was it like experiencing going and vetting this technology and that journey of seeing it right in front of you? Well, the, first of all, I want to say that in terms of the discovery of it, I was in Costa Rica um, working out in a gym at Rhythmia when all of a sudden my phone just blew up and like five, six different people were sending me the videos of... Um, off YouTube uh, of Maxwell. Uh, and then, so I started looking into it because I, I, I saw that, oh my God, he's done a helicopter. You don't want to be bullshitting about your energy source when you're in a helicopter. Uh, and he did a, a, a car and then he's done these two generators. And as I looked around and, you know, of course I went to Snopes to see what they want us to think about it. Like, okay, well, that makes sense that they would debunk it with absolutely no evidence whatsoever. Right. And just say on the basis of obviously it's untrue because it would violate this and that and the laws of, of physics. But then uh, I saw your article and, uh, and I thought, OK, this is the first rational assessment, you know, honest assessment. Of we don't know yet, but here's the possibilities and so forth. And so that's when I decided after your article to see if I could track this guy down. And I had two people working on it. It took us two months oh, wow. to get to, to reach him and finally did. And Kimberly and I got on a Zoom call with him and it was so moving um, because he, he, he just felt like the real deal. And he was so touched um, that we 
understood the predicament that he was in because right. he literally had just gotten out of jail after 52 days of confinement and torture, trying to get the truth out of him, uh, trying to get the, the knowledge out of him. And he said, listen, I'll give it to the world, but I won't give it only to your military. Right. And, uh, and so uh, and then he 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 invited us to come. And I went over there with a film crew, obviously, and our security team and, and an engineer. And we spent almost three weeks with them and meeting the people and checking out the technology. And it wasn't the first free energy device we had seen. So uh, each of us had our first moments with other people. But it was just even if you've already seen it, being in the presence of a human created device, which is making no noise, putting off no pollution, uh, and which has simply organized the flow of nature's electrons, these little toruses, in a harmonious enough imitation of nature that it's pouring out, in this case, half a megawatt, 500 kilowatts of energy with no moving parts. It's like such uh, a, so moving in terms of the future of humanity, but also just in terms of the cosmic release of realizing here is a paradigm changer. Here is the evidence that we live in a universe of infernal, in, infinite abundance. And if we're diligent enough in mimicking how nature gives it, gives it to us, then it will pour out whatever we need. Yeah. Well, one thing I want to say about, about it, which is even related to your article, which I, I really can't recommend highly enough. I just think it was so important to hit right on the head of most people claiming to have over unity technology, meaning energy that can put out more than takes in, don't have what they either think they have or claim to have. And in addition, most inventors exaggerate. Most um, have beliefs that their part is the most important and whatever's needed to actually get it out, interface it, help people understand it is all secondary to that. So within the whole world of this alternative uh, breakthrough technology, there are self-created problems as well as the problems that come. And this is where critical thinking comes in. It's like, and this is one of the things that I think is really good about the times right now is that we're seeing Geez, you know, when the health regulators and the manufacturers of the uh, vaccine or injectables, I think is a better term, but in any case, when the manufacturers, the regulators, the educators into the institutions that are validating or not are all one and they all have a financial incentive for a particular outcome, then it doesn't take a lot to say, well, we need some other perspectives on that. And censoring uh, debate or a different perspective is, is just not intelligent. If you were really looking to solve a problem, you'd get every bit of information that you could on the table and you'd wade through it and you'd let that which makes the most sense rise to the top. And you'd let people weigh in on that, especially with such ramifications in their lives, right? So you, you realize, okay, there are interests, huge corporate banking interests in having us believe in limited options. Yeah. 
And so could that also be true in these other major multi-billion trillion dollar industries? And if in fact energy has the same situation where the regulators and the manufacturers and those who are benefiting are the same people in charge as in the pharmaceuticals, and they're telling us that something that actually is could be available to anyone everywhere, could be decentralized, could be immensely helpful, not, I mean, there's so many fallouts from it, but if, if that's possible, maybe it would make sense that they're suppressing the alternatives there as well. And so the timing of this, I mean, of course, we made Thrive 2 before COVID, mm -hmm. um, and we just added some pictures there to make it relevant for the times. But the mess, it, here's, we were headed toward, it was very predictable. We need to look at this issue of authority because if we let other people decide for us what we should even know about, we're in trouble. And I don't know anyone who wouldn't think Yes, I would like to at least know about these alternative explorations, uh, given the consequences of the both the good and the bad of the bad of not finding them and the good of having them. So, to me, um, the the timing is right for people to question this stuff, and it, without then saying, "Oh, yes." free energies, everybody's got it, and they have all over the planet. Like we've seen way more devices that don't work than do. Yeah. And we have, and, and I can't say I've ever met someone who's good at inventing business, communication, and all of that within one person. This is nothing new. I'm sure inventors in the past have the same personalities, you know, and your genius, especially working outside of time and space as we know it, it doesn't necessarily make you good at appointments, you know, on earth. But anyway, that's uh, the part about it for me is that uh, we still need to be very critical in our thinking without it limiting our capacity to recognize a breakthrough when we see it. Yeah, well said. It's it, it's so important not to have things so, so black and white right now, as much as it's uh, tantalizing to want it to be that way. Um, this, uh, that beautifully leads into sort of uh, a little bit of a story which kind of comes into a question. And um, I, I once, I'm not sure if I spoke to you guys about this or maybe it got back because I spoke to a couple of other people that, that um, I think you guys also know and the story may have come some way or another, but um, we got, uh, we, we, we saw a device here in Toronto um, by a company, it was it was magnetic based, so they weren't pulling from the uh, from the ether per se or from the, the field, but um, it was still in incredibly impressive. And um, we happened to had the opportunity to be like a fly on the wall, essentially, at their lab here in Toronto. Um, uh, the there was at the time there was a whole bunch of South American engineers and investors. Uh, from casinos, hotels, and so forth, all there. So again, it was like this experience of like, how do we, how do we end up here with people that could actually vet this device right in front of us? And um, and so we're going through and we're kind of seeing it. And um, right away, there was like there were some tensions in the building between those that wanted to bring it to market and the inventor and the engineering team. And we could sense those tensions. 
And, you know, as the device is being vetted, I mean, the first sort of visceral feeling was watching the engineers try to wrap their mind around just how this specific device was working, which when you really understand it, you're like, well, that's not that complicated, but it's brilliant. And how did we not think of that before? We probably did, but we just don't know about it. <laughs> and so this device here um, was a smaller version. It was outputting two kilowatts. Um, we watched it get hooked up. We kind of looked through everything. The engineers were grilling, grilling, grilling. And there was a moment where the, the inventor finally got through to the engineer about how it worked and his eyes just lit up and he was like, oh my gosh, like, you know, and, and like, it was like, he was like a kid all of a sudden, right? Like he, like his life, everything. And this is the beauty of why I wanted to ask this question is like, it's so visceral. It brings you back to this incredible moment. And, and I, I felt that way looking at this machine. When I went home, again, I got emotional because I was like, oh my gosh, like, what are we doing on this planet? Like, what's going, this exists and why is it not here? And you're going through all these different things, all these different feelings. And then you realize why you're dedicating your time to what you're doing. And again, all these different feelings. And you're like, holy crap. But then there's this question of bringing it to market. And I want to get your guys' take on this and what you've seen, what you saw, what might be going on. Um, but to just sort of jump off that, I'll share what I witnessed here. The technology was there. The intention from the involved parties was to make a lot of money. And it sort of brought me to this conclusion that depending on our state of being, level of consciousness, it's almost as if this technology isn't quite right for our current state of the world. And thus, it's this idea that the consciousness of our collective is almost holding it back until we can learn the lesson of coming together in that this isn't about just making tons of money, but about actually freeing humanity. And it was something that I played with and I've speak, spoken to a couple of other people who have the similar feelings. Um, I, I wonder what your take is on that when you see how these technologies are attempting to be brought to market. Yeah, it's something that I've looked into deeply for many years. I, I gave a, a, an address at the Global Breakthrough Energy Movement uh, World Conference in 2013, where I laid out a, a, an entire spectrum of strategies. And the strategies are different for each invention, each company, depending on what their prior obligations are, what their, their goals in the world are and so forth. But my strong advice was the, the, the far end of the, the spectrum, uh, as far away from traditional venture capital as you can get, <laughs> is just go open source. And I, I have been pretty confident that the first major free energy technology that, that actually makes it out would need to come out that way. Because the key thing is getting the toothpaste out of the tube. You know, we, we know three... Uh, inventors just in the last couple of years who've been disappeared yeah. trying to when they try to bring it to market because the and it doesn't take uh, a, you know well I was going to say a rocket scientist but in this case <laughs> that may be a, apropos um, the the amount of vested interest in the militaries in the the intelligence agencies and the banks and the energy corporations and on and on these they've proven that they will go to any lengths to stop these things. So the key is to get the toothpaste out of the tube and number one, keep the inventor safe. Number two, keep the IP safe. And number three, um, let the world take the breakthrough insights and then develop it in an open source way, which will be so much faster and 
unstoppable than than any other strategy. So that's one of the reasons why uh, why Maxwell wanted to work with us because he wanted to go open source and he hadn't been approached by any people representing money that he trusted before. He had been offered private islands and jets and billion dollar bank accounts and all this stuff, but he's a very intuitive guy, very spiritual guy, and it never felt right to him until we showed up. And then, so that was actually the plan. Um, and there, I, I'm confident that he would have been, first of all, a global hero, which hopefully he still will be, and that there, he, there, there would have been plenty of money to make for his future research and people would have contributed and he would have had everything he needed. That was the plan. But then COVID hit and mm. he uh, he was literally what got him his visa. He was coming here to set up an operation here. He had a device packed up and literally within two days of getting all that ready, he got shut down and it's still been closed down to this date. And he finally told us, he said, listen, you know, we're, we're out of money. We, we, uh, we're just not confident these other routes. So we're going to open it up as a business. And, you know, I, I said, I, we can't force you to do anything. I'm very nervous about your safety. And then uh, just to add one more story in there, there was another device, a magnetic device uh, that looked very uh, real to me out of South Korea. I hadn't had a chance to go over to vet it yet, but I had talked to, to a couple of people who had. It was very impressive. And they decided also to, to, to create a market for it and, and try to bring it out. And they started selling the devices. A couple of days later, they got a, a, an invitation to, they, they said, uh, the government said, the, our minister of science and technology would like to come and visit your lab. So they came with a photographer and an entourage and all this stuff and, you know, arm around the inventor. This is so great. This will change the world. Two days later, the inventor was sleeping in his lab with the technology to protect it. And the entire lab went up in flames and the inventor died and the technology was uh, burned beyond recognition. So and that was like a month ago. Mm-hmm. So there, it's, it's not some Hollywood movie. This is a very real situation. Fortunately, Maxwell himself uh, we've taken all the precautions that he was willing to take. The IP is located in different places around the world. So, so it's not going to help any to, to take him out. The knowledge is still going to be out there. He's been befriended by the president of Zimbabwe. Um, and he has installed this device on a number of homes around Zimbabwe. When we did that interview, I don't know if you saw in our after party, we went live to Zimbabwe and he gave us a demonstration. And uh, that device is now running 24-7 with a camera that feeds to us. Oh. So we're just recording this, you know, uh, recording, you know, filming over time. Uh, and uh, there were a bunch of news crews, international news crews there filming. And just this morning, we got some videos from them. So the word is starting to spread around the world. And, you know, hopefully this just get the toothpaste out of the tube and, and get the whole world behind him strategy will be enough to keep him and the knowledge safe. Yeah, I just want to add one thing to that because it's one of the things that we've explored a lot is the relationship between, I mean, a lot of times these inventors have debt from people who invested enough for them to get to what they've got. Generally, the investors want to see a complete working technology before they invest. And generally, each has trouble recognizing mm, something about each other, right? Like for sure, the inventors have trouble recognizing 
the generally hard-won process of earning the money that people have to invest, the risk that they're taking. And the, the one thing that's really in common to both is that having the knowledge outside of the inventor is critical for the inventor's safety and critical for the security of the investor's investment. And this is where blockchain comes in. Um, it's, a, it's a brilliant way to engage blockchain as a way to keep the IP safe outside of the uh, inventor. The investor knows it's secure, but nobody else actually knows it while the transactions are happening. And that was one of the things that we found to be the, one of the most effective possibilities for moving forward here. And we, so Maxwell's protected in that his IP's stored. Um, and I believe that as COVID uh, restrictions are lifted and people find their way around this, then the additional vetting and money just will move where it is. There are lots of people out there with financial resources who want to see a different world. And interestingly, we've seen many are from some of the early oil families who hmm. recognize the writing on the wall here and want to be in on what's next. And we, we talk a lot, you know, we've been so ridiculed for believing in free energy. And I just keep thinking, I'm so excited, just like personally for when it's uh, vindicated the same way you talk about it. It's just sometimes it's like, come on, you know, yeah. and then does anybody ever say, oh, far out. It yeah. is possible to have this, you know, it's more like, no, now Elon Musk says it's true. And so therefore, okay, and it's like, all right, whatever it takes, we'll, we'll go for it. And um, let me throw in one more quick story since you're in Toronto. Uh, I, we haven't told this publicly yet, but now that, you know, our world's changed because the film has come out. We can say a lot of things we couldn't say before, but one of the half a dozen best technologies that we know about is in an underground vault near Toronto has been since the 70s. Uh, they, some people stumbled across this new technique and turned it into free energy anti, and anti-gravity. And they started demonstrating it and it was shut down uh, by Nelson Rockefeller uh, and then confiscated by the Air Force. Mm -hmm. They literally took the vehicle and uh, you know, on a test flight and flew it away and never came back and then shut down everything. <laughs> So, but, but we know the people who are, there's still one person alive from that original crew and they hired a, a brilliant engineer at that time to, to educate him about how it all worked. And he's now getting on in years, but he's still alive. Nobody knows his identity, even us. Uh, so we're in the process along with others of raising the funding to bring that technology back out, pay that engineer to come out and get the appropriate security to bring that technology also to the world. Yeah, it's it's, it's fascinating what goes on behind the scenes, the stories, oh <laughs> uh, the stories you hear, the things you do. It's like, if and again, it's like uh, if only people knew it. But it also leads to this this you know this. I, I guess this was kind of part of the 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 intention behind conspiracy as a piece was. It almost feels like sometimes. As a, as a community, if we're so sure about everything, like, oh yeah, free energy, 100%, this device, that device, this device, you know, vaccines are 100% of the time poison and everybody who gets injured, you know, all that. Right. It's almost like there's a responsibility there to say this is creating a, a great deal of the doubt in the ridicule that exists within the mainstream. And, and it's almost like 
if we took this, um, I want to say more rigorous approach to a lot of these emerging ideas that it's quite possible that it would be much more difficult to just bury them all the time um, yeah. because there's a little bit more of a, of a quality or accepted approach to it. And, and yes, there's probably still censorship, but there wouldn't be so many examples to point to to say, oh yeah, that's a joke and that's a joke, <laughs> you know what I'm saying? But no, uh, we each have our individual roles to play and I enjoyed reading it uh, your references to David Icke uh, in the article, mm -hmm. because when I uh, sat down to interview David Icke for Thrive One uh, a decade ago, um, I, I said to him, I said, David, it's really critical to us in this movie to distinguish between uh, fact and speculation. And I'm going to go everywhere with you. So I'm going to talk about reptilians. Uh, so I need to, to have you distinguish. Uh, have you had direct experience? Have you been in the room with a, a shape-shifting you know, a reptilian, or is it just something you've heard about, or is it circumstantial evidence, or what? We need to distinguish that. And he said, great. You know, I'm all for that. And, um, and so he did. We had a really good interview based on that where he said, I have never seen it uh, um, up close and personal. I, was, I based my confidence on that I have received communications over the last 20 years from 30 different countries. I've checked them, them out and, uh, and all of it's circumstantial, but it's so authoritative from the highest sources and so coherent. The stories are all coherent with each other that I just, I, I talk about it as if it's real. And I said, I really get the, the temptation to do that. I catch myself doing that too. But I think it's so critical what you're saying about no matter how confident you are, for the people who have known nothing about it, it's critical to distinguish that just as it is with with the, the backstory to is there a virus? If there is, was it man-made? All, all that kind of stuff. So I really appreciate your rigor in bringing that out. I, I appreciate that. Yeah, I think it's critical. And then also you get associated, you know, like I, I always wondered if the whole flat earth thing was like a CIA plot to see how much you could convince people yeah. of, right? I mean, it was like, what? Yeah. How, the notion, like, take a trip, like, <laughs> just take a trip, you'll notice the world is not flat, right? Uh, anyway, so I have concern, of course, because then if someone says, well, the same people who believe what you believe also believe the earth is flat, mm -hmm. then how do I know what kind of judgment they have? And I think that's where those of us, you know, need to distinguish ourselves and say, the earth is not flat. Science, actually, reason and logic and science are valuable and we can apply them. That's one of the reasons we spent so much time on science mm -hmm. in Thrive 2 is because I wanted to provide tools for people to be able to consider something without it being such a fringe notion. It's yeah. like, well, okay, this makes sense, this makes sense, this makes sense, scientifically, therefore, this could be true. Like, yes, sound waves, light waves do impact matter. That's fact, proven scientifically. So what does that mean then about the frequencies that are coming from 5G? Do we know if those are good or bad for human biology? It's certainly worth are looking into without sounding crazy, but you have to first establish something in there. And um, 
that's that's definitely part of the challenge that we face and i think that happens from within with carelessness and i think it's definitely a strategy for the slander and debunking is i mean we put out our thrive two trailer and within a day found it on somebody's site cut and pasted into a flat earth <laughs> we're just like take it down like we are not going there right yeah. that i don't care how many people you're reaching that is the wrong message for us but we had to you know legally go in and do the stuff that dissociates us from that yeah. in order to maintain more credibility so it you know there's so many reasons to kind of give up right yeah. it's so everywhere you turn there's some other problem yeah. it's just like but there's luckily you know a better reason to keep going and 100%. that's life <laughs> yeah and it's it's interesting because it's like uh the even just uh, not that it's so important, but the idea of the flat earth, and this goes back to the idea of making sense of the world, right? It's like almost, and you guys know this and you've researched this, but you've also spoken to people and, and, and I've tried to take a very similar route where it's like with something that's a quote unquote conspiracy, oftentimes there are certain things that you'll find, right? Um, whether it's documents or whistleblowers or very clear forms of evidence that can paint a picture that may not be 100% certain, but it seems pretty clear. Whereas like with the flat earth thing, and I've, I've asked this with people, it's like you, you realize there's not a single whistleblower. Like there's, there's not a single credentialed individual who has said this. And there, there could be, you know, many, 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 many of them. I mean, think of all the defected NASA employees. Think of even Edgar Mitchell, who had his, you know, incredible experience coming back from, from space and, and seeing, like, he came out and he spoke about aliens and he spoke about, like, he went off the quote-unquote deep end at that time, and you don't think he would have threw in there and the earth is flying, <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like, this is kind of the... the the kind of the sense making that I believe needs to go on right now. But um, uh, before we get too far away from uh, Sayeth Technologies here, um, Foster, you laid out uh, some of your recommendations about the open source. And, and I think it, they said that it's closed. They're starting it as a business. So when it comes to sort of starting it as a business, does that mean they're looking um, to produce a product that's more consumer driven? Or might this be more like industrial, i.e. the consumer might not be able to afford it at this moment in time? He's working on the whole spectrum. Uh, Maxwell's one of these guys. He's just a, you know, an African Tesla. He's just every week he's got a new idea, and two weeks later he's actually got it working on, on his bench. And he's got all the stuff we've already talked about. Plus he's working on a, 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 a cell phone that doesn't need charge. He's got a, a drone. He's got a security system for self protection. And he said in the in when we went live to him on on Saturday. Uh, which Kimberly and I were glad to hear that kind of because he's kind of leaning back towards open source in some ways. He said, he said, my major goal, he said, I want to take this to the world, but I'm particularly interested in taking it to the most disadvantaged people who mm -hmm. wouldn't be able to afford it otherwise. And he said, and if necessary, I'll give them the blueprints. So I, I think he's looking at the whole spectrum of possibilities there. Yeah, sounds like the, the right steward for that type of technology and so forth, which is which is fantastic, right? Yeah, and he so he's looking for support in running his business. Uh, where our plan is to open a branch of that business over here. We've already got the uh, the CEO lined up. The we've got the head of the plant, the the head of engineering, and and a bunch of, of potential investment that is only pending 
the a live vetting experience here because there, there's uh, major investors who want to participate in that type of thing and bring it out who haven't been able to do their own vetting since COVID. So supposedly the president of Zimbabwe made an announcement a few days ago that they're going to be opening the borders on October 1st. Mm. If that's true, then a whole lot can start happening of people going there and him coming here and, and otherwise. So, and he's just one of, you know, a half a dozen different people who, who need investment, who need business support, who need security. And who have their technology out there in one way or another that now getting rid of them won't get rid of it. So our, you know, our role was help explain the science. So yeah. someone can begin to understand how does this not violate thermodynamic the laws of thermodynamics as we understand them like wait help me make sense of this and then show one person of course you can i mean no if you're not willing to consider a new paradigm in science then you're not willing to consider a new paradigm in science luckily there are enough who do but of all these different ones who we have seen they i'm confident that they can't all be stopped anymore and part of that is because of the internet Mm -hmm. because there's just too many eyes on this. Like this feed from the Zimbabwe news station going out, tracking this device running, his IPs outside of him. The, you know, there's a lot of stuff cross-referencing. Plus, I do believe a life force wanting this to happen. So, um, yeah. And we have our, our security team has been working uh, with him since we went to visit. Uh, and what... What a lot of negative forces don't realize is that with a top-notch security team, and one of the reasons why I think I'm still here, is that even if something were to happen to me, and obviously, you know, popes and presidents can get shot, um, with a, with a top-notch security team, if something happens, if somebody hires or a corporation or an intelligence agency or government hires some assassins to do something, our security team will track that back uh, and they will find out who was the negative source of that action. And at the very least, that person will lose their total quality of life if they haven't already, um, because they'll be looking over their shoulder the rest of their lives. And it's the same for these inventors that we're now protecting. And it's the same for uh, many of the top people in the holistic health area uh, since over a hundred yep. uh, holistic doctors have died suspiciously in the last two years. We've also got our security team and other security teams now protecting them because we're just in that critical phase where we're going to reach critical mass soon of just like the electric car was suppressed for 17 years. Yeah. And, and now it's out. Nobody thinks about it twice. It's going to be that way with natural cures and with free energy. We're just in that transition period right now. Yeah. And, and the transition period is, is so important um, for so many things. And I think this is where, one, I think the film does a good job of discussing this a bit. And, and I know, Kimberly, you've mentioned it a couple times during this where you said, you know, we need to start having the conversations, whatever that might be, which means, hey, we don't know 100% what's right, 100% what's wrong, but we need to talk about it. And this sort of leads to something that, you know, I've been trying to work out too for the past while, which is, we have an existing system, right? And, I, and we, we kind of have an idea of where we want to go. We have a, a vision to some extent of where we want to go and how we want things to do, or at least some of us do. Perhaps some of us need to spend a little more time looking at that vision. Um, but then it's like, okay, so how do we get there? 
And it almost feels as though there's a combination of having to utilize certain aspects of our existing system um, to, you know, sort of get there and knowing that that's an end goal. And I, and I think one of the places, as we dive into this conversation, one of the places I want to jump off from is, is the idea that like people, I already saw it in some of, in some of the comments um, on your live feed where people were saying, why are you charging for the film? And I figure you guys would enjoy answering this while sort of bringing in the context of transitioning from our current state into a potential free future. Sure, I'd, I'd be happy to <laughs> comment on that. Um, it, well, it's multifaceted. First of all, just to address why do we charge for the movie? Um, you know, it's so fundamental. Like we created an excellent movie. Right. We traveled all over the place with a team of people who all could have been working for surveillance companies or, mm -hmm. you know, our visual effects team could have been designing, you know, ways to show your head blowing off and all kinds of things that make you feel crummy about being a human. And instead, they worked for Thrive On, right, to create this film. And we... Uh, got investors. We, we had to get investors to be able to make this movie. We spent our money with Thrive One and gave that away. And so we brought in investors who also could be guaranteed a return if they were invested in pharmaceuticals or other surveillance companies. You can guarantee that you'll make some money invested in that right now, right? And instead, they took a risk to believe that there would be enough people who would want to support this transformation and make it financially viable to do this kind of work. And so um, what we did was we created the affiliate system so that if you help us to have to get this out to people who then purchase the movie or subscribe or something, you can earn 20% of it. So we want to share this model um, for getting it out. And also I have to say for $10 to watch what costs millions of dollars and mm -hmm. years and years of, you know, research and then a thousand straight days of focus, sometimes by a hundred people a day working on it. I mean, this is a big task to do this and, um, to stay safe, risk our lives, risk our reputations, the whole deal, you know, get 10 people to put in a buck or put it up on a white wall and, get a whole bunch of people to create a drive. And I don't care, you know, there's a way to see this movie and pay for it. If you value supporting things that help up-level this conversation and provide this level of insight uh, to the world right now. So I just think that the notion that things that are bad for us, we're so used to paying for mm -hmm. that we don't think twice. And then something that's good for us is supposed to be free because it's good for us. Right. It's like, wait a minute. And I really think about that. I have grandkids who are looking at, I mean, the world changed for them. Imagine being a little kid right now, right? Trying to make sense of things. What will, what can they do when they grow up? And I want them to know that they can do good, meaningful work and have that be a way to support their families. And so uh, the, the notion that good work should be paid for is one that I, I really challenge people to reconsider the training. To me, it's representative of 
a very poor training and a lack of critical thinking when you really if you just look at the last week what did you buy the last week and is and does each one of those dollars support the world that you want or not mm -hmm. uh, because i'm confident that this ten dollars will support a better world for for thrive and and then i just want to speak a moment to the transition strategies and Les Foster, I don't know if you want to say something about the, the, the free, but. Well, I do have something to add when you're done. <laughs> I'll just say on transition strategies, not all actions are equal, right? There are some things that can get us to a more leveled playing field to where we can get where we're going. And we do call some of those out in the movie and I'd be happy to address um, them in terms of strategies, but go for it. Add to the, add to the free question. We're, we're anybody who's really looking at what's going on right now. I think we'll understand we are at war right now. And fortunately for most of us right now, it's still an information war. It's the people who would seize our freedom or continue to, to limit our, our uh, lives and control us against those of us who would actually want to be free. And the more people wake up, uh, the, the more we're apt to all be free. And so in order to be successful in that information war, rather than uh, you know sp spending uh, some money that we've begged for on a mediocre film and then having to go beg for more money and not be able to distribute it and all that kind of stuff, that's not gonna be an effective strategy given what we're going up against. And I think like you at Collective Evolution, we're dedicated to making uh, truth media be an effective mode of business. You know, I, I'm, I'm a member of the Collective Evolution TV and you, the offerings that you have in there can actually absolutely transform somebody's life and empower them to be effective out in the world. And in order for you to keep doing that, you know, you charge for a subscription just as anybody else if they're, you know, want to go on Netflix or get groceries delivered or something yeah. like that. So we're kind of a hybrid um, between your traditional documentary and a summer blockbuster. <laughs> uh, we're somewhere in between on budget, um, but, but we want to use Hollywood level of quality artists and so forth and make a really compelling thing that you want to share with your friends and sit down and watch on a Saturday night and so forth. Um, but we also want that to be profitable in a way that it's not just CETV and Thrive and a few others doing it. People all over the world are going, oh, wow, I could research the truth, tell the truth in a really beautiful and entertaining way, empower people to transform the world and have it be my, my vocation. So I think that with groups like yours and ours and some others that are emerging, we're unstoppably on the way to that paradigm for truth media in the world. Right. Very, very well said. And, you know, it's it's what's so interesting about this time is like people are having like you, you answer you guys both answered that question extremely well. But it's, it's like it's also a question that people like honestly have because we're in this really odd time where um, it's like, OK, and this goes back to the black and white thinking again. It's like, okay, we want to create a new world, so we can't participate in anything of this world, but then how do we actually get there and how do we do this and you know, everything in between, right? And I want to quickly throw in, before we discuss a few more of the solutions and some of the stuff that you guys sort of present in, in, um, in the last bits of the film there, um, 
I wanted to bring up the idea of voting, right? Because here we are entering into another voting cycle. Uh, well, I should say actual, the vote is coming up in the United States, right? And um, there's, there's a very, this is an interesting moment because at least from my observation, I feel as though the, the alternative thinking community per se, um, sort of, you know, obviously the mainstream community believes in many ways that, you know, you vote, it's your right, you have to do your part, this is an important thing to do. There are people who have detracted and kind of like, mm, I don't know if I want to, but kind of for the first time ever, there's this story that's going on um, where the alternative community, ha ha community has to vote because Trump is sort of saving the day. And, um, we, we, you know, we need to participate in that. And I, I kind of wanted to get your take in, here we have a a existing structure that people believe creates change is that is meaningful. And, uh, you know, it's what would you have to say to them wondering, do I participate or do I not? What are the implications of me participating? What am I saying, you know, with those actions and so on and so forth? We have slightly different answers. We, on we have different answers on that. We oh, both ahead, respond differently. Perfect. This is per that's perfect. You really go ahead. Well, um how i feel i'm very much oriented toward the transition you know i'm the producer and my one of my things is okay if you want to go there what what do you have to do to get there and so i've outlined this will answer the voting issue but let's say uh campaign finance reform right and and especially corporate personhood which gave corporations the right to mm -hmm. give any amount of money uh, that they want to, to a candidate. Well, as long as that's true, voting doesn't really do much. <laughs> uh, if the, if whoever the candidate is and the, or the winner is, is owned by the corporation, because that's what happens because they start going for their next election as soon as they're elected to, uh, answer to the needs of their donor. So, but if you found somebody who wanted to address that issue and was willing to go after that issue to vote them into a position that they could take that on is a lot more effective in my opinion. Uh, and there's a place for that to say, we need candidates who will do this the same way locally. We need in Santa Cruz, California, we need candidates who are gonna help with the economic restoration and a homeless issue that's huge and growing. And so who can do that better than somebody else, even though the notion that it operates in this way is not my ultimate end goal by any means. Same with uh, having legal uh, protection for ecosystems, like legal protection, like, wait a minute, the, the number of sort of convoluted notions that go into providing that, and yet, our planet is really being devastated at such a rapid rate that if that's the mechanism that can be used to just help stop some of that devastation, I will vote for people to get in who will help accomplish that. So I vote uh, because, and I vote very, like I'll vote for that person there and this person here, and I strategically choose who I think can most help in a transition. You know, I think a lot of the stuff that Robert Kennedy Jr. is doing is just fabulous, really mm -hmm. using the law and the system uh, to go after this stuff. I support him 100%. There are others. So it's not party line, but it is voting. So I, I focus on that as much as possible. And, I, and for me, I'm, 
I'm glad to do that. And I also understand Foster's perspective. Foster, can I ask one thing just before uh, you sure. jump in there, specific to what she said? Um, the it, Does that mean you more so focus on a local uh, level as opposed to, say, a federal level? Yeah, yeah, I am. I'm way I'm more interested and engaged on that level than really choose because my hope is I believe in grassroots. I, I have a lot more confidence that this is going to happen from the ground up. And I think the ground up can have more impact locally. Right. And create the, with the sheriffs and people who have authority to make moves locally that are going to be more impactful. So, yes, I do focus personally, but then I also look at the stuff like with Kennedy or with some others who take things on on a federal level and think, okay, so who's going to do this better? But I certainly understand the dilemma of, like we had a conversation with friends the other night, it's like door A and door B, and it's like, God, it's like, oh my God, this is, this is a sorry, sorry state. So um, anyway, we talk about it all the time, and we have a lot of things that we you know, we're not just one person and it makes for a very dynamic, fun uh, relationship and conversation. Mm -hmm. So um, so I don't vote. I haven't voted in about 15 years and I don't think I'll ever vote again. Uh, Mark Twain has supposedly said, don't vote, it only encourages them. <laughs> uh, and I think the serious version of that is that I see my participation in that system as somehow supporting uh, the system of authoritarian rule. Mm -hmm. because no government would exist without coercive taxation, which is just plain and simple theft. And, and so that, that's, that's the root of every single government throughout history being corrupt is because they wouldn't even exist without that fundamental corruption. So, but I also, at the same time, I, you know, I, I was an Aikido instructor for 15 years. Mm -hmm. I recognize that you've got to blend with the reality of what's so. So for me, what I recommend to people is that for myself, I would, uh, in order to, to look and see what's the best statement that my vote can make, my vote is not to vote. And I would rather have my statement be known as, oh, people will be talking about, oh, I heard Foster doesn't vote. Why doesn't he vote? And get into that conversation than in this particular case, uh, if I were to vote in this particular election, I would hold my nose and vote for Trump. Uh, and so rather than going, oh, I heard Foster's a Trump supporter, right. uh, which would be a very shallow interpretation. The truth of the matter is for me that I, I say a statement in Thrive 2 that says the real battle that we need to fight now is not between nation states or between genders or between races, uh, but it's between those who would steal our liberty from us and those who want to be free. And in my research, which has been very deep on this, uh, I do believe that for all of his foibles, um, and he's, a, he's an embarrassing person to defend, uh, I do believe that Donald Trump is the first person to be outside of the global domination agenda since Andrew Jackson back in the 1800s. So, um, and, and Trump supposedly said recently, he was quoted by... Uh, by a guy as saying to a crowd, he said, he said, you need to understand they're not coming after me. They're coming after you and I'm in the way. Hmm. And I, to me, that was a really powerful statement of what I have found to be true. I find the, the guy to be incredibly courageous. And 
I keep a running list. Kimberly can tell you it's like three page single space of the of the positive and the pros and cons of Trump. Yeah. And on the pro side, the things that he's doing, proving that he's actually going uh, to dr- to try to drain the swamp of the deep state. Um, you know, for me, he's not going for a stateless society, um, but he's at least going for a restoration of a constitutional republic, which is a, a hell of a lot better than a, compu- a communist uh, one world government, which is what I believe the left is unknowingly going for right now. And so I'm very concerned uh, if the if the left gets in now, particularly if they have the presidency, the, the Senate and the, the House right now, I, I cringe to think of what we will be like at the end of four years, much less eight years after that. So the bottom line for me in terms of voting is for anybody who believes in voting enough to vote, I recommend that you vote for Trump for the reasons that I'm saying. And I've got a lot more about this on our website. Hmm. Well said, there's a, there's so much to unpack there. Right. Um, I, I kind of personally, I'm like a, a cross between where you, where you both sit and, um, I, I haven't voted on a local or um, federal level since I was 18. However, and I'm 33 now, so I don't, I mean, yeah. do the math. It's, you know, it's been a little bit. And, and it's, it's one of those things where I, I haven't, like I found God engaged enough on a local level. It's probably because I moved around a lot over the past uh, few years. Uh, on a federal level, I feel um, very much, my observation sort of tells me that it's like, it doesn't really. It doesn't. It doesn't really do anything. Like I. I don't. I can't feel what's happening. Um, it's interesting. I, I want to throw something out there with the Trump thing that I. That I. Because I thought about this a lot over the the past while, and and I. I share the observation that if you've done this work long enough, and you look at things long enough, and you you really take a step back, there's obviously a concerted effort to really twist Trump. Uh, by by powerful forces in politics, in media, and so forth. You got to ask the question: Why is that the case? Why is there a landslide negative coverage of what he's doing? Uh, the question would be: Is what he's doing really that bad? And of course, the answer to that is no. If you take an honest look at it. Um, but I've also wondered this: Is um, and maybe you know because you guys have done such deep research on this, so maybe you you have a, a really interesting take on this. But I've toyed with the idea that. What's happening right now is almost like a a battle within a powerful group of people. Um, so if you look at this sort of uh, globalist agenda, you you might break it up into to multiple families or multiple um, people that exist that maybe now are not playing along in the same ways that they were before. Meaning their their ability to agree and to go in the same line is kind of breaking apart, and perhaps that's the war we're seeing behind the scenes. Um, I don't know. I don't know if that has even deep meaning to for that to be the case. Like, does that add anything to the fact that at the end of the day we have to empower ourselves? I don't know. <laughs> but but that's what I keep, seem to be observing is like I can't connect with the idea that Trump has this beautiful vision of a future. Um, but I could see that part of what's playing out is necessary for us to question and for things to to sort of fracture. Um, in a sense, but that's kind of what I'm observing a little bit. Yeah, I'm going to be talking about that in depth in one of my uh, upcoming shows. But it's a very interesting question. I, I oftentimes ask people, you know, to what is your core loyalty? Mm. Is it to your religion, to your country, to your family, to your your uh, social group, uh, or is it 
to principle. And my core loyalty is to justice. It's to the non-aggression principle and protecting that. And so that's on one side of the spectrum. And on the other side of the spectrum is total domination, total control, where you get enough power that you can make everybody do what you uh, want them to do in order somehow to be safe or feel good yourself. And that's the battle that's going on. Because people think, well, you know, are we against China or is Russia with China or is India or U.S.? It's totally confusing. Yeah. It's, like they, it's like when they were trying to do the orbits of the planets when they didn't have the sun at the center. It's just endless chasing the tracks of the bird on the on the beach, but the bird has already flown away until you put the sun at the center. Or, um, or and, and then when you make the Earth round, all of a sudden everything works again. And when you put the global domination agenda at the center of the craziness that's going on now, all of a sudden everything makes sense. Mm -hmm. And then the antidote to that comes down to the non-aggression principle. It's like, what are we missing? Yeah, what we're missing is a basis for a universal morality, something that everybody, not only on this planet, but who's ever on other planets or visiting here or whatever, that we all can share in common. And to me, that's the sovereignty, individual mm -hmm. sovereignty. And the reason Trump is showing up, at kind of, for those who understand, as kind of a, a, a Lone Ranger type of character right now is that he's at least wanting to move it in the right direction. If, if the one world totalitarian state is where the globalists are trying to take it, he's at least coming in and saying, no, you can't take away the sovereignty of America because we stand for something that I believe in. And I think that's pulling us back from the cliff. And then that from that sovereignty of the nation, uh, which I'm not a big fan of in nation states. So it's only a step. So then you go to the sovereignty of your local region and then ultimately to the sovereignty of the individual. And that's the course change that I just want to support right now. And I, I think that wherever it is, I mean, of course, environmentally, it's horrific, but Trump and with that, I mean, it, there's issues here and there, but I really appreciate that wherever it is, it lands in us being empowered as individuals yeah. to get the information, a wide spectrum of information so that we can think critically and make decisions so that we can own our own bodies and make choices for ourselves. And a lot of times when we talk about this issue, we realize, well, the other thing is we both gave it the office. I mean, <laughs> I'm here to tell you, we've done everything that we know how to do to empower individuals with information, a hub, we'll be putting out this solutions hub, a free web app in 40 languages for people to help organize by issue. Like we're really doing all that we know how to do to empower individuals. And then if those individuals vote or don't vote or foster doesn't and I do or whatever, that's secondary. Yeah to claiming our power as individuals and not believing that anybody is going to solve this for us. I have, I have not met a single individual who believes that we're going to get out of this mess politically. Yeah. That, that's just Another not. question I've been asking people recently, which brings a stunning silence to most rooms is <laughs> if we're on the verge of a civil war, which side will you fight on? Mm. Because it, I mean, what, the, what, what they what they want us to think is, oh, it's going to be black versus white or it's going to be blue versus red. All that's complete distraction yeah. from the, that the real fight is from is that the people who want to be free versus the tyrants. 
that I would be willing to fight for. All that other stuff. I mean, I've been studying the Spanish Revolution recently and the French Revolution, and it started just like this, where at first there were awkward conversations over the family dinner table. <laughs> you know, and, and then it led to you know, people unfriending each other in the old fashioned ways. <laughs> and then pretty soon, stuff started happening and, and brothers were shooting each other in the streets. Mm. Like, you know, we, humanity needs to get clear on what's worth fighting for literally right now. This is the time in history. We, all, we have the communication systems and we have the weapon systems that we can't afford to wait any longer to get clear on what we stand for. Well said. And, and you know, one of the things that I, I aligned so much with, it's a, it's a message we share is this idea of, of co-creating our reality, meaning, you know, there isn't going to be one person or one group or one inventor or one, you know, uh, systems analyst or systems creator that's going to suddenly give it. it's like we have to engage in the process right the the true nature of our reality is co-created and um you guys did an excellent job of sort of conveying that idea and i really hope that inspires people into action i sense that it will um, because one of the ways i want to take that in is this idea of you know those that are questioning things and that are seeing what's going on and I want to say, even when I look at other forms of independent media that still are very invested in the system as it is today, there's, there is a lot of aggression and there is a lot of anger towards whether it be the other side, whether it be the cabal, the, 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 you know, those who, who run the global domination agenda, whatever it might be. I wonder how does the um, non-aggression principle fit into, from your perspective, how humanity might go about dealing with um, those that uh, have perpetrated some of these agendas for such a long period of time. Well, I would vote Kimberly onto the Truth and Reconciliation Committee, and I know she's always wanted to be on that. So, Kimberly, go ahead. If you want. I have always wanted to be. From, the, from my first understanding of this, I always thought, wow, it's going to be a fascinating ethical challenge to know what to do with those who have knowingly perpetrated this. Most, of course, have unknowingly and unwittingly participated. And I thought of it yesterday, we had a conversation because, so after doing the movie where I had makeup and so I wanted to go get a facial to clean the makeup out of my face. And I went to somebody who was very afraid of COVID and was basically in a hazmat suit and took every imaginable precaution and wanted me to wear a mask down to the last minute and all, all this kind of stuff. And I thought, well, this is interesting because her fear, I can help address by putting on a mask. But my fear of her blind compliance, she can't help me with here. There's nothing in her behavior that's giving me confidence that she will question things enough to not just blindly follow and put us all at risk. Mm -hmm. And so during this facial, I was, I was thinking about that. I was thinking, I feel afraid about her level of, you know, what she was saying was just a blind following the, the dominant narrative. And so, um, anyway, that was just a funny thing about anger that I wanted to say, because I, I think all these feelings are, are normal yeah. and 
And I wanted to make one comment back a ways before getting into this, which was, and this is the interface of consciousness and activism and all the rest. My experience when I first saw a free energy device is that the white, it was a white light. Mm -hmm. And it was because there was no heat to make it yellow because there was no resistance. And they called it resistanceless. Right. And in my consciousness exploration, it's resistance that causes the pain. 100%. Right. If I can be with what is and then work from there, I'm not constricted, which holds, keeps out information and keeps out uh, opportunities that will otherwise make themselves clear. And I, I do feel that our job now is to mimic this technology and our human technology of our own little toroidal beings to see what we can do to breathe and into an expanded sense of self enough to not resist so that and that's what i was doing i was thinking okay i'm afraid when people go along and don't question and actually uh um she was part of like believing that it's unethical to question uh what uh fauci or gates says yeah. i actually thought it was an unethical thing to question that it was like mm. whoa we are we really see questioning and thinking and independent thoughts so differently yeah how do i not resist how do i stay in the truth of this and find what are we going to do now and that's where the non-violation principle comes up that there has to be room for her and there has to be room for me and that's where personal accountability comes in to say all right I don't need her to do my way. I just need to make sure her belief doesn't infringe upon me. Yeah. Right. And that, and that's how all this stuff I think plays out. So the reconciliation of that's going to be needed is going to require a level of compassion and clarity and accountability. I, I think a lot, it's like a, a mother energy, which is that there have to be natural consequences so that we do understand morality and the consequences of our behavior. And at the same time, always with love. Mm -hmm. And I have a thing on my wall that I've operated with for years. And it says, um, I'm, uh, I'm a friend of your soul and an enemy of your project. Mm. And I want to come from that state with this reconciliation. I want to say on a soul level, I know we're in this together. And, you know, you're doing a really good job of pissing me off on this earthly life or whatever it might be, but to actually engage. And I'm going to stop the project yeah. that you're after because of its violation, but not while losing a connection of ourselves as one because we are. Yeah, And um, that's really the, the challenge is to come to stay in that state of love would be such a challenge that I would love to take it on as a way to see just how evolved have I managed to uh, really become in this lifetime. I want to pick up on what Kimberly is saying about the, uh, the reconciliation, because I think that if we follow the non-aggression principle, then it's not about, you know, killing the perpetrators. It's not about torturing, punishing the perpetrators. It's about retribution. You know, they've literally stolen 
the wealth of most of the population on the earth, at least for the last 70 years, if not the last 200 years. And so it'll be very interesting because even the US court systems, there's very little retribution. Most of the, the, the fines that get paid and so forth just go to the pay, pay for the courts. Uh, and somebody maybe gets put in jail, but the person who was harmed uh, or stolen from usually gets virtually nothing back. And so imagine the whole world in the conversation about, okay, this family over here, or these particular, not even a family, these particular individuals, because we've, we've been approached by members of the Rockefeller family and the, the, uh, the Rothschild family and a whole bunch of those families, younger members, people your age uh, from those families have approached us and literally sat down with us and said, we're not arguing with a thing that you said, we're trying to change it. How can we collaborate? So that's going to be an interesting part of it in the future. But there will be plenty of funds to restore the world from retribution from them without having to inflict any violation on them. And then I want to go a little bit further. The, Kimberly was talking about the, the resistance list. Um, as Kimberly and I have been very public for the last 20 years about uh, our thoughts on all this stuff, We've been in numerous conversations with uh, socialists and communists and fascists uh, who sooner or later will say, well, why should I obey your ideology rather than you obey mine? And we say, because ours isn't an ideology. There's no coercion here. You don't have to obey anything. Yeah. And so what I think is going to happen because we've said to people, listen, if you want to create a little socialist enclave, great, go ahead. Just don't impose it on me and don't get in our way as we're trying to bring you know, the truth and the freedom principles out. And, but I'm thinking, you know, as California and Oregon and Washington are seriously considering succeed, seceding from this nation state and becoming basically a communist state, I'm thinking, wait a minute, I live here. <laughs> I don't agree to that because of these imaginary boundaries or this imaginary notion of authority. So I've been thinking more and more recently, I haven't even talked about this publicly yet, but I'm getting more and more amused by the whole thing where it's like, okay, no, you can't claim anybody's land as your county or your city or your state or your, or your nation. So create those virtual communities virtually. You can have your own communist society online and, you know, people can battle as to who's going to be the dictator and they can try to tell everybody else what to do, but it's not affecting anybody who's not listening. Right. So, so I'm starting to see the light and the, the humor in this. And one of the, the, the tagline of one of the shows that I'm going to be offering is that there is light at the end of the rabbit hole. Yeah. And I think if you follow it far enough, it comes back to the freedom that's there and the kind of humor that we can actually have even amongst the tragedy that's going on that we can see the light and the humanity is fundamentally so good and that's starting to get restored. Yeah. Yeah. It's interesting. Uh, the, now that you kind of mentioned it a little bit, one of the, the, the device I was talking about earlier at a Toronto here, um, I was told by one of the guys working closely with it that one of the people investing was a younger Rockefeller, um, wow. which is interesting. And it was the same sort of uh, story where, you know, they, they actually want to do good because yep. they've seen what their uncles and, 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 you know, their other family members have done. And they're kind of like, eh, you know, right. um, which is interesting. Right. And, and 
uh, to the non-aggression principle and, and even the idea, you know, light at the end of the, the, the rabbit hole or the idea of even the field and all these different things that are going on. It's like, like you said, it's not an ideology. I, I so resonate with that from the idea too, that a lot of times this stuff is, is felt and experienced. It's like a deep knowing, like when you experience, whether it be through meditation, a random moment in your in your life while you're being whether you you know play with uh, plant medicines whatever it might be you can get this sense of oneness you can get this sense of connected with everything and if we're if we're able to explore and admit those ideas it, it offers an interesting uh I'll, we'll say problem but also question about how you then take that nature of reality what you see feel and experience and bring it into the current chaos if you will that we're experiencing because I've put forth this idea before and, and I've gotten kicked in the ass many times for it, but I still stand by it of, of rehumanizing the cabal, right? Realizing that they had a journey, whatever it may be, that led them to do what they did and that their souls living out an experience, playing a role, doing what they're doing. And it's a really difficult thing, like you were saying, Kimberly, to do and to look at and to, to play with. But it goes back to this question of like, and this is kind of what I want to pose here is if we know that the underlying fundamental nature of our reality, and I'm saying knowing from a felt experience, Foster, you talked about it of, of in the movie where it's kind of like I was no longer afraid to die because I had felt and I had seen what's beyond here, right? The question becomes how much of that underlying reality are we being asked to bring into our human existence? And this yeah. is the question that, you know, people are toying with. Well, no, because when you're human, it means that you're supposed to be in duality and you're supposed to fight. Yeah. Well, what story does that create, right? Yeah. Do you guys have anything to, to say to that idea? Well, I, when we were writing Thrive One, people would ask us, when, when you're writing the script, who are you picturing? Who are you speaking to? And my answer kind of shocked people because I would use, usually use uh, Dick Cheney. <laughs> <laughs> and the reason I did that was because what was like what Kimberly was saying before, if I could speak to the little boy in Dick Cheney, if uh -huh. I could speak to his natural soul rather than the abused and distorted and vindictive thing that, that became later on, or to Henry Kissinger or George Bush mm. Jr. Or I could go on and on and all across the parties and across the nations. Uh, if I could tune into to that soul, then I can speak soul to soul because and that's the only basis on which we're going to reconcile this. And this is why we really wanted to dive into the unified field and bring out what we're referring to as the science of love. Because where there's there's actually not that much of a shortage of people on planet Earth, critical mass wise anymore, who realize our oneness. Mm -hmm. But we actually need to be able to apply that right. to scientific systems, to technology, to media, to schools, to to governance systems or lack thereof, and so forth. So it's the it's the realization and unpacking of that oneness in order that we can align ourselves, our relationships, and our systems in alignment with the natural flow of that field that I think is called for right now. Yeah, I think you're absolutely right. That's why I know there's one line in the movie about how do I begin, you know, it's like, well, begin with yourself. 
Right. And I think it's that capacity to, I, I was thinking about it a lot. I was listening to Tim Ferriss's broadcast recently on coming out about having been sexually molested. And the question in it was, have you forgiven your, per, the perpetrator? And he, and he talked about forgiveness in a different way than I think of forgiveness. And, and it made me think about it. And it was, if I come no, from knowing that we are eternal souls evolving. That's my worldview is that we are eternal souls evolving and that we're having a human experience. And it's a really challenging one that I care deeply about. I am emotionally attached. I am physically attached. I really want it to work out. And I also want to come from that perspective of knowing that truer than all that attachment is something bigger. And that is our oneness. And I picture sometimes being, you know, backstage from earth <laughs> with some of these characters going, whoa, like <laughs> you really got me, you know, like the biggest challenging forces in my life. I, I really do work hard and that's the personal work to maintain the connection while calling for complete accountability and retribution and doing that with love and with that connection. And that's why the work's so hard. I mean, I think if the reason, and, and it's even all that we don't know, we don't know how to do this. We only have the guiding principles and the felt knowing that it's the right thing. We have science, we have information, we have various things, but humanity has never been confronted with whether or not we're gonna maintain humans as humans. That's what's at stake here, mm -hmm. right? Are we going to become AI robotic forces <laughs> with fewer of us here? I believe that's the proposition at hand or are we going to defend our humanity and our planet? And that's a big choice point, and it's going to require that each of us is bigger and better than we have ever been before. And it begins with ourselves, and then it's with your neighbor and your family, and like, how do we do this? Uh, how do we do it? And like I said, I don't think we know, but I think that we have the beginnings and these principles in our minds lay the groundwork of, of how to do that and to begin with our shared values, uh, which we actually mostly have shared values. It's strategies yeah. where we differ. Yeah, a hundred percent. And, and I, I think it's, this is kind of leading to one of the last things I wanted to talk about um, was the idea of you, you present um, like solutions. Like, so how do people take action? How do people go about this? And obviously there was the, there's always that inner, work that inner building the inner capacity aspect of things but then people say well what do i do on the ground um and i wanted to kind of give you both an opportunity to kind of express what that looks like to you guys through how you how people can actually figure out how to take action in this moment you want to go first fosters sure uh kimberly and i have been each blessed to be very successful in our activism for decades so we've learned a lot about what works and what doesn't work. And when I discovered the reality of the, the geometric dynamics of the unified field and so forth, I thought, okay, wow, how can we apply that knowledge to make uh, activism even more effective? And we developed a model 
uh, back in 2006 uh, of uh, activism based on the Taurus and uh, the, the kind of all-inclusive flow and sustainability of the Taurus and then the structure of the vector equilibrium and then how, how that expands to be uh, the whole field. And then shortly after developing that, we started getting sprayed with toxic chemicals uh, from Monterey to Sonoma in California. And they wouldn't tell us what it was, but people started getting sick and the insects and fish and birds were dropping and so forth. And we're like, no, wait a minute, this is not okay. And so activists were kind of running around and trying to go to hearings, but being shut out. And meanwhile, we were being sprayed every night. And so Kimberly finally said, why don't we gather the local activists in our living room teach them this model and see if it can be effective. And we did. And uh, the model basically is a whole systems model, which brings in uh, the 13 sectors that we think covers all of human endeavor. So it, it's science and health and media and relationship and spirituality and on and on. Um, and so that when you have an issue that's happening, like if you've got uh, fires or you've got corruption in the government or you've got this toxic spraying or something like that, people can come together and organize, bringing their own passion and expertise to a circular conversation. There's no you know, dictator of the group. It's a, a cooperative collaboration, but it's very comprehensive and it taps people's skills. Nobody needs to do it all. Uh, so we started using that model and the long and short of it is that in six months, and with only about uh, $50,000 and a bunch of volunteer time, we ended up stopping what turned out to be a billion dollar appropriation by George Bush Jr. from Homeland Security to spray Northern California with a, 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 a potion of 10 chemicals, six of which were carcinogenic, mutagenic, and endocrine disruptors. So it was as bad as we suspected that it might be as part of the dumbing down, make them sick and, and uh, make them infertile agenda. And so we ended up stopping that uh, all with an independent uh, kind of league of, of organizations and individuals in about six months. And they tried to come back a few times. By that time, everyone had so organized that we stopped it again and again. And finally they, they gave up. And then our trophy was, well, there was a Freedom of Information Act request that got some emails uh, internal to one of the government organizations. And this email said, we expected some resistance from Santa Cruz. We just had no idea they'd be so organized. Mm. And Martin Luther King is that, what was the quote from King, uh, Kimberly? He says, those who love peace need to get as well organized as those who love war. Yeah. So that's what. So we're, we want to inspire people with our films, give them key information to wake them up. But then we're, we are doing our best to provide on our website this whole sector solution model that you can use step by step. But then also we're 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 just about to launch a free app that is in forty languages and allows people to organize either by region or by or virtually by issue, and then use this model to take on any issue as long as the response doesn't create any violation except in self-defense. All right. Yeah, I think the one thing I'll add about this just per, on a personal note for people is that 
this thing about purpose, you know, we talk a lot about purpose in Thrive 2 because we believe that the field, that all manifestation is the result of purpose uh, and that we're not exempt from that. And to know your purpose, you know, can sound overwhelming if you don't know it, but it's, there are a lot of tools out there. People from Will Smith to Deepak Chopra and Foster, all kinds of people talk about it and make tools available for this exploration. And then the good news is there's no wrong answer. It's such a personal thing. It's what gives you energy. What is your natural passion? And the value of the whole systems model is that, you know, once you find your purpose, it's just your purpose and you do that one part. And the and what we're facing is so gigantic that it's really empowering to see, oh, if I do my part, I can check in and see that all these other people are doing their part naturally on this same issue that I care about. And then your little contribution that seems so little in the face of these big things isn't so little anymore when it's amplified in this uh, collaborative arena. And that's kind of part of it is that there's this distorted mirror, you know, that we're all separate and that we're all little and basically not very powerful. And in fact, that's just not true. That's a distortion. And the real mirror is that we are as powerful as we allow ourselves to be. I say that in the movie, I really believe it. And in fact, my purpose is to help up-level people's sense of what's possible so that they stop settling for less. Because so much is possible and that includes what we are each capable of when we just settle back and find out what's our passion and how do we bring that forth on behalf of the world. And if that is raising children consciously or helping to feed someone who's hungry or you know, redoing a financial system so there's alternative currencies or shifting the consciousness that sort of creates all the systems from which all these other things need to be done. Wherever it is along that, uh, we need you. <laughs> mm -hmm. And so I think when, uh, so my, my hope is that the model helps to make that clear, that the web app will help to provide an opportunity for for global activism because we have a lot to do and we do need to get better organized and we need to listen to each other. And I think that these times are making it so that there's more openness to do that as much as there's also more challenge. Yeah. And then the question arises, well, what are we organizing for? Mm -hmm. <laughs> and that's why we named our movie Thrive because that's as far as we can see, you know, into the curve of the, the, the real potential of for humanity thriving. And then, okay, well, what's our compass? What are we organizing around? And that's where we were so thrilled to, to, to learn about the non-aggression principle, because I think the reason, you know, you and we have found each other and we're, and we're networking with, you know, hundreds of networks around the world. And, you know, there, we don't agree on everything, but what is surfing, surfacing to me as what's worthy and viable for us all to be organizing around is honoring the sanctity of each individual and not initiating any violence. And I think that there's unlimited potential for organizing around that globally and cosmically. 
Very well said. Yeah, and, and I think that's, you know, that's the idea is, is how, like the Martin Luther King quote, it's like, how, how do so few people have so much power? Whether you agree with that idea or not, I think you can see that wealthy people, like at that level of wealth, have a ton of power. Well, they're just highly organized, right? And so got to meet it with that. But that's very well said. Um, do you have anything else you want to add um, in this moment beyond what we've uh, discussed? Well, I, would, I just want to say what a pleasure it is to talk to you. I really appreciate what your contribution in the world. And I am grateful to be allies with you at this time. And in terms of people tuning in, uh, you know, we're having this subscription where it's really to be part of the conversation. We need each other here. We have our parts and there are people all over who have their parts. And we're hoping to create a real network dialogue so that we can be at the table, a big round table, and be discussing these things with each other. And so at thriveon.com that, you know, come comment on the movie, watch the movie, share the movie, do what you can, because it, our intention with that is to get a lot of this stuff into the conversation, ethics, and how do we solve these problems? And what are some transition steps? And what is this glorious field and that we're all a part of and what's possible? So. I hope that people will join in that conversation and I hope they continue to support what you're offering because it's immensely valuable and we're grateful for you. Yeah, there's right. a ton of people on planet Earth right now struggling to even survive, much less to thrive. And imagining what thriving would be, we'd actually have health, we would have prosperity, we would have successful relationships. Uh, we would have a beautiful uh, environment. We'd have successful collaboration going on. And uh, Kimberly was the one who really said it in, in Thrive One. We already have what it takes to thrive, but it's a matter of liberating that. Mm -hmm. And in order to get good enough at the skills of liberating that, uh, it takes work. It takes challenging our emotions. It takes thinking new thoughts. It takes reaching out to other people when you, you might be shy or, or embarrassed to and I can't think, frankly, of two more effective ways to augment however you're doing that already than to become a member of Collective Evolution TV, become a, a member of Thrive On, not just to, to watch and listen, but to actually engage with us. Bring your brilliance, bring your talents, and engage in the conversation and the strategy and the tactics to actually bring in this world for our great-grandchildren that we actually we know it's possible. Yeah, well said, uh, you know, it's the time to get engaged. This is the kind of the big feeling, the big moment is engagement is key. Um, I want to thank you both again for this incredible contribution in this film and having this conversation. I, I, I'm very excited to see what the coming weeks are going to bring in terms of the feedback and discussion around this movie. So I'm sure again. it'll be a call across the board. <laughs> thank you. Well, you're welcome. And thank you, Joe. We really admire what you do and appreciate the invitation to get yeah, to share with the network. Thank you. Bye-bye. So I hope you enjoyed that discussion as much as I did. I really feel like now's the time to get engaged, to explore what Thrive has put forward as sort of this solutions model. You know, how can you get engaged? What are you drawn to? What's important to you? Um, this is, these steps that we take are going to make a very big difference in how we go about creating this, this transition, this new reality that we know that we can create here on this earth, but that maybe you're like, well, I'm not really sure what to do or how to get engaged. 
There's a lot of conversations happening right now that are discussing just that, how to get engaged, how to be part of it. We have them here on CE, uh, whether it's on CETV, our website, and I know Thrive is doing a lot on, on their website, in their membership, even within this film. So I encourage you, look at the companies you know, that are doing this work and you know, see what is there that, that you feel drawn to. Um, at the same time, consider supporting both Thrive's work and our work here at CETV because this is how we're gonna continue to move this stuff forward and sort of invest, if you will, in companies that have you know, the intentions, the ability to sort of bring people together and really do this work and bring it to another level, which allows all, at the same time a community of people taking action to be built, to be informed, to be able to see the solutions that are possible because we all know the mainstream is not really gonna discuss this stuff properly, um, if at all, right? And at the same time, there's a lot of people in, uh, there's a lot of independent media out there that's doing incredible work, but that may not be solutions oriented. Um, which is something that you know both Thrive and, and us here at CVT, we see TV, we focus on a lot. So consider the, the support and consider getting engaged and I appreciate you taking the time to watch this and I highly encourage you to watch uh, Thrive 2. This is what it takes uh, by clicking the link in the description below. So I hope you enjoyed this episode. Thanks so much for listening. Um, be sure to pass this on to a friend or a family member that you think uh, might enjoy this type of conversation. Um, you know, this is kind of the way that we got to share this information these days with uh, such a great degree of, um, you could say, deplatforming or censorship and uh, even demonetization. As always, we do uh, as much as we possibly can to offer as much content for free. Um, you know, for about nine years, everything we offered. Uh, we offered from the standpoint of just absolutely trusting that um, you know we were putting out everything for free and, and everything was fantastic and um, with the degree of uh, deplatforming and demonetization that happened to us um, we were in a really poor position to be able to move our, uh, our work forward without creating some uh, premium content as it's often called and so we've set up a membership area to help fund our work and to help keep our work going and expanding. And if you want to be part of that and help support our work, but also go uh, even deeper on a lot of this content, you can head on over to ctv.one and become a member. And if not, there's tons of resources on uh, collective-evolution.com, which is our website. Uh, lots more podcast episodes, and uh, we also have a YouTube channel with a ton of content. So again, thanks so much for being part of these conversations, and here's to creating a new world together. Catch you next time.